I'm Jason Lewis. I'm Thomas Mills. Welcome to Climate Optimus. As a couple concerned citizens, we're on a journey to explore climate solutions and ways each of us can make a difference. And to start things off, happy Earth Day, Thomas. First, I should say that folks should definitely, if they haven't already, sign up for our, our newsletter. We got a little piece in there about the history of Earth Day. And I don't know about you, Mills, but I feel like Earth Day, is, I'm kind of conflicted because one part of me thinks that it's beneficial to have you know this catalyst to get people involved. But at the same time, it's in many ways kind of trivializes you know things and assumes that you know somehow one day a year is enough when it obviously isn't. Yeah, but <laughs> like Jimmy Fallon said the other day, um, why is it that sharks get an entire week and the Earth only gets one day? It all doesn't seem to make much sense. <laughs> well, its value is at least it gives us a catalyst to talk about the things that really matter. So while many podcasts are funded through sponsors or ad revenue, here at Climate Optimus, we rely on listener donations to bring you the programming you hear each week. If you're a regular listener and you value what you get from us, consider a donation that aligns with that value. All you have to do is head over to our website, climateoptimus.co, and click the donate button. So the Amazon rainforest, sometimes referred to as the world's lungs, is an amazing place on many levels. It's one of the most biodiverse areas on Earth. It drives weather patterns in South America and beyond. It also sequesters and stores massive amounts of carbon, an important thing for us here on Climate Optimists. But despite the critical roles the Amazon has been playing, it's, it's under threat. Decades of deforestation and forest degradation are bringing it close to a tipping point that if reached, would have catastrophic implications for the climate and beyond. The good news is that, you know, Brazil's new president, Luiz Inácio Lula da Silva, or Lula, uh, took office in January and has made protecting the Amazon one of his top priorities. Given where things stand, we thought it would be a good time to focus in on the Amazon, its role in maintaining a livable climate, and how conservation efforts are progressing. But before we go there, Thomas, you got a reason for hope for us this week? Yeah, Jason. So after our last episode, the uh, US EPA announced some new rules that will indirectly but intentionally accelerate the transition of the US towards uh, electric vehicles. So basically, there are some much tighter requirements for light duty, uh, medium duty and heavy duty vehicles. Um, And it's calculated that basically by 2032, it will force around 67% of light duty vehicles to be uh, fully electric by that stage and 46% of medium duty vehicles. However, if you ask me, I think based on the, the rapid decrease of lithium in the last 12 months or so, and you know these new sodium, sodium lithium batteries that are hitting the market, electric vehicles are going to be so cheap have such great range and be so compelling before that point in time that I suspect within the next five years, we'll be hitting those sales targets. You know, Mills, I I like the optimistic view. And (laughs) I think think it's good that we both have, right, these market forces that are taking us in this direction already. And I think having this EPA regulation is just kind of a stick to make sure that the automakers aren't saying, we're, we're pro-electric vehicle while still cranking out, you know, big SUVs and trucks that get horrible fuel mileage. I honestly think that nobody's going to want to buy them. Once you've got 
the bulk of vehicles having at least a 300 mile real world range you know the fact that you no longer have to go to a gas station and go and fill your vehicle up anymore and like i look at the electric vehicles here in tasmania they did a survey of drivers and 95 percent of the charging is done at home so you leave home every day you've got a you know equivalent of a full tank of gas on board and and you don't have to worry about you know stopping off anywhere along the way and if you do like the the rollout of ev charging has been massive like to the point where there are so many charges and utilization rates are so low that like worrying about charging in most places has just become a non-issue now. Yeah, fingers crossed. I mean, at this point we just need the suppliers to work through their their bottlenecks so that, you know, folks can actually get access to the cars that they they want to buy because there's definitely pent-up demand. So our, our guest today to help walk us through where things are with the Amazon is Meg Symington. Meg is the managing director of the Amazon at the World Wildlife Fund, where she's worked for over 25 years. Part of joining World Wildlife Fund, Meg served as an environmental advisor at the U.S. Agency for International Development. Her experience spans conservation and natural resource management projects for forests and freshwater ecosystems in most countries in Latin America. And Meg has a PhD in biology from Princeton University. So super excited to have her here on the pod today. Meg, welcome to Climate Optimist. It's great to be here, Jason. Thanks for having me. So let's start you off with a basic question. When it comes to efforts to address climate change, what makes you hopeful? So um, the thing that makes me most hopeful is that forest conservation, and particularly conservation of the Amazon, is an important part of efforts to address climate change. And um, that's because deforestation is responsible for a significant percentage of CO2 emissions. And so stopping deforestation is part of the solution to the climate crisis. So the way I see it, Amazon forest conservation is a win-win-win uh, for people, climate, and nature. Well, and it, anecdotally, in, in following kind of the, the dialogue about the Amazon, it does seem, you know, from the outside, like it's, it's getting now hopefully the attention it deserves. So as somebody who spent their career, you know, working in, on the Amazon, you know, what makes it unique or special that, that might not be common knowledge? So I think most people realize that Amazon is big, but I'm not sure they realize how big it is. Almost half the rainforest remaining on Earth is in the Amazon, about wow. 3 million square miles, which is the size of the continental U.S., and if you um, put all of the countries in of the European Union inside the Amazon, there would be room to spare. Wow. Yeah, that is, <laughs> when you put it that way, it definitely gives different context <laughs> to the size. The other thing that I, I don't think people realize is that uh, we all think of the Amazon as a wilderness area, and it is in many places, but there are 40 million people that live in the Amazon, some of them in cities, but many of them in very rural, remote communities as well. And they depend on the Amazon for their livelihoods, harvesting products like Brazil nuts or acai. And that's something else that people might not realize is the Brazil nuts that you get in a can of mixed nuts. Those nuts come from trees in the Amazon of Brazil, Bolivia, or Peru. And they're not grown in plantations. They can only come from the, the wild forest. Oh, interesting. So these are you know existing trees within the forest that folks are going out and harvesting the nuts from. Correct. So 
if we look at the Amazon, you know, sort of through a climate lens, what would you say makes it so valuable? So because of the size, I mean, it's just massive. It's the trees and the soils of the Amazon are estimated to contain 150 to 200 billion tons of carbon. And that is equivalent to 100 years of the U.S. CO2 emissions at today's rates. So it's just a massive storehouse of carbon. Wow. And within the, the forest itself, is it is it mostly stored in sort of what we see above ground in terms of the, you know, the trees and the canopy, or is it, is there a fair amount in the, in the soil as well? It's about half and half. So when, you know, we're talking about the Amazon, folks may often hear about the importance of the Amazon, not just from a climate perspective, but in its ability to sort of regulate regional weather. Can you talk about how this kind of works in practice, at least at a high level? And what is this term I've heard about called evapotranspiration? <laughs> so, yeah, the, um, the Amazon is so vast that it creates its own weather. So 50% of the rain that falls in the Amazon is actually generated through evapotranspiration, that word that you mentioned. It's a fancy word, but it really is just the combined processes of evaporation, which you know is water vapor going into the air from being heated, and transpiration, which is water vapor being transmitted to the air through plants, from the soil, through the roots, and to the leaves of the plants, and then to the air. So that evapotranspiration um, from the Amazon produces what we call flying rivers, in the atmosphere that bring rainfall to South America's breadbasket, the southern part of South America, and they even influence rainfall as far away as the Midwest of the United States. So in essence, this, it sounds like the Amazon acts sort of like a big sponge, like it's clearly storing a lot of water. And then, you know, it's releasing that water up as well. And then obviously having an impact in any surrounding areas that benefit from that uh, precipitation. It's sort of like a giant air conditioner. It's a good analogy. So obviously the Amazon has been undergoing a lot of deforestation, you know, over the last 20 years. When we talk about it today, what, what are the primary drivers? The primary drivers today, Jason, are conversion of the forest to cattle pasture. So cattle pastures uh, occupy about 80% of all deforested areas in the Brazilian Amazon and it's also the primary cause of deforestation in Bolivia and Colombia. So there are other causes as well. Infrastructure like roads can be very destructive, and also artisanal gold mining, small-scale gold mining in some areas of the Amazon can be a driver of deforestation. Uh, but primarily, um, cattle ranching is the significant, most significant driver. And in terms of, you know, I'm just thinking in terms of ownership, is the Amazon, let's say Brazil, is it, are there private tracks? Is it more publicly owned? I mean, how is this deforestation manifesting? Is it illegal? Is it legal? The vast majority of the deforestation in the Amazon is illegal. Um, about 50% of the Amazon is right now in public lands that are declared as protected areas, as conservation units, or as indigenous territories. The rest of the land, maybe 20 to 30% is privately owned. And the rest, there's a, a quite a large percentage that is still what they call unclaimed lands or lands without governance or clear title. And that is actually where a lot of deforestation is occurring uh, because there is land speculation and people are trying to 
get title to the land through clearing the forests on it. And is that something that's changing? I mean, I would ownership, if you will, change the the uh, the reality of this deforestation, or it would it would simply um, giving ownership, declaring land as a protected area or as an indigenous territory is the first step to decreasing deforestation. Obviously, you need additional steps in terms of enforcement, but just making that declaration is very helpful in terms of stopping deforestation. Well, let's let's talk a little bit about, you know, climate change in the Amazon. Um, you know, the two are obviously interrelated. I guess first, how is climate change, you know, impacting the Amazon or maybe forecast to, to impact the Amazon as we look further out? So climate change is leading to higher temperatures and reduced precipitation, which is drying the forest. And this is something that's been observed, particularly in the southern and eastern parts of the Amazon. Um, And combined with the deforestation pressures and degradation, this drying of the forest um, could lead to a tipping point where tropical moist forest is replaced by a dry savanna type vegetation. One example of how this is affecting CO2 emissions is if you look at the threat from fires in the Amazon. So under a scenario of increased temperatures and decreased precipitation, fires that are set to clear agricultural land or to um, clear overgrown pastures can escape into the forest and then turn into wildfires that destroy vast areas of standing forest. Gotcha. So similar to maybe those of us who live in like the American West where, you know, the really high temperatures tend to, you know, dry things out and make it a lot more like, you know, we obviously get fires, but later in the summer uh, makes it sort of ideal conditions because then, you know, there isn't the the moisture there. Mm-hmm. And historically, you know, the Amazon has been a carbon sink. So it, its trees have pulled carbon dioxide out of the air and stored them in the wood and the soils as, as carbon, right? So that's sequestration. That's what we call sequestration. But now um, with the fires and the deforestation, there are areas of the Amazon that are turning into sources instead of sinks. So they're actually emitting more CO2 than they're sequestering. And and you mentioned this term, you know, tipping point. Do we understand the point at which that would sort of happen and us not being able to control it, I guess? We think the tipping point's already been reached in some areas of the Amazon where you're going to actually need reforestation in order to regenerate enough forest to maintain the hydrological cycle. But overall in the Amazon, the number that's been thrown out there is we really shouldn't get below 80%, like 20% deforestation. And we're someplace near 15, 17% right now. So WWF is actually um, supporting a you know, zero net deforestation. It's really important that we, we, we take measures to avoid this tipping point, because as you said, it could be catastrophic. So drying out the forest, creating you know the opportunity for more fires, having this convert to Savannah, like this is all scary stuff. Let's talk a little bit about solutions. You know, what's what's out there? What's most promising in terms of helping, you know, slow or, or halt the, the loss of, of forest in the Amazon? So right now in Brazil, um, one of the priorities is to help the government rebuild the institutions that are needed for enforcement to stop illegal deforestation. So th- these institutions have been severely weakened over the last four years. Another really important intervention protected areas and indigenous territories, which I mentioned before. They're a proven solution to preventing deforestation. A recent publication 
that WWF was a co-author of, along with researchers from the Federal University of Minas Gerais, showed that protected areas and indigenous lands in the Amazon actually prevented 21% of the deforestation. They reduced deforestation in the Amazon by 21%. So um, we want to strengthen programs that work to effectively manage protected areas. We also need to support indigenous peoples. Twenty Over 20% of the Brazilian Amazon is in indigenous territories, and we need to support those peoples for the management and sustainable development of those territories. And then outside of those, um, we need to prevent importation of commodities like beef and soy and leather that come from deforested land. Um, we need to hold companies that have made commitments to take deforestation out of their supply chain accountable to those commitments. So it sounds like a lot of legwork. In terms of the Brazilian government, maybe for folks who aren't aware, there's there's been a shift and the current administration is taking very serious steps to try to curb deforestation then versus the previous administration that, that was not, correct? Correct. The re-election of President uh, Luis Ignacio Lula da Silva, he was elected in October 2022 and just took office in January, is great news for the Amazon. His previous administration uh, back in the early 2000s uh, was responsible for a 75% decrease in the rate of deforestation in the Amazon. So they know what to do. And he's made, Lula has made the environment a focal issue for his government. He is pledged to um, achieve zero deforestation by 2030 in all Brazilian biomes, actually, including the Amazon. And he's also supporting indigenous rights and territories. I'm wondering, you know, you mentioned earlier reforesting areas as a way to, you know, obviously bring things back. And clearly that takes a lot more time and effort. But what's being done in terms of, you know, efforts to, to reforest places in the Amazon? So in many places, if you just leave the forest alone, it'll regrow in the Amazon. So just sort of preventing um, further degradation of the land and, and letting the seeds come and, and regrowing the forest naturally is the most cost-effective way to do forest restoration in the Amazon. But there are some areas in the southern Amazon where direct reforestation, maybe through systems of agroforestry that provide uh, food or fuel for local populations, you can help rebuild the 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 hydrological structure of the forest without having it be natural, you know, primary rainforest. And that that is something that people are looking into as well. Gotcha. So in an ideal world, it's it's really back away and let the forest do its thing. Um, and then in certain places, doing some more targeted kind of planting. That's correct. It would be very, very expensive to reforest <laughs> the vast areas of degraded land in, in the eastern Amazon, but letting it regrow and then targeting reforestation efforts to particular high value crops or agroforestry systems, I think is the way to go. Well, I think that's a good lead as we're, you know, folks are listening to this wondering, you know, how, how can we as individuals, um, especially from places outside, obviously Brazil and, and Bolivia, Peru, et cetera, how can we help um, halt the, the loss of forest in the Amazon? So there was something very exciting that just happened today, which is that uh, President Biden uh, made his Earth Day announcement, and as part of that announcement, said that he would uh, seek $500 million uh, from the U.S. Congress to appropriate for the Amazon Fund in Brazil. The Amazon Fund is a fund that was established by the government of Brazil 
about 10 years ago, maybe a little more, with donations from the government of Norway and the government of Germany. And it is used by the government of Brazil to implement projects, both public and private, to conserve the Amazon and stop deforestation. And I think one important way that people here in the U.S. could help is to let your congressional representatives know that forest conservation and the fate of the Amazon matters to you. Let your congressional representatives know that you'd like, you support U.S. contribution to the Amazon fund. There's another piece of legislation that's currently under discussion. It hasn't been introduced in this current Congress, but it may be soon. Um, and that's called the Forest Act. It's what I mentioned before that would actually prevent the importation of commodities produced through deforestation. So that would be another really important uh, piece of legislation that the U.S. Uh, population could support. That's right. And we've talked about the, the Forest Act before, actually had one of the original sponsors here on the podcast. So it sounds like in a, in a basic message can really be, to your point, that you know, we need to protect the Amazon and, and value you know, investing resources in protecting the Amazon. I mean, it's important for the people of Brazil. It's important for the people of the region. It's important for the, for the people of the world, the Amazon. The fate of the Amazon matters in terms of climate and nature. Well, Meg, thanks for coming on the show and getting us a little smarter on, on the Amazon. Clearly didn't appreciate how vast it was. I knew it was big, but now I have a different appreciation. But yeah, thanks for coming on and talking to us both about you know the problems that it's facing and, and the solutions that are out there. Thanks for having me, Jason. It's, uh, it's been a pleasure. So, Thomas, what were your thoughts on uh, the interview with Meg? Uh, look, Jason, the, the, the sheer magnitude of the Amazon. Look, I mean, I'll, I'll be frank. I should have known this, <laughs> but I didn't. Um, and I did go and do a little bit of digging after, you know, first listening to Meg's interview. And it's just such a behemoth, the Amazon, compared to every other ecosystem in the world. It's absolutely phenomenal. I went and did a bit of a comparison with... Um, uh, flow rates through the Amazon compared to other rivers around the world, and it's far and away the largest system. Like you, you know, we, we always think, you know, living in Portland previously, that um, the, the Columbia was a massive river, and that puts through about seven and a half thousand cubic meters of water every second. The Amazon is two hundred and twenty-four thousand cubic meters per second. So a couple of <laughs> orders of magnitude more than the Columbia River. It is pretty wild to think of it in that in that context. I mean, like you, I should have known my geography a little bit better and, and known that the Amazon is as big as it is, but it really underscores why it's so important. It isn't just that it's a it's a rainforest. It's fifty percent of our remaining tropical rainforest. And and so because of that massive size, it, it has huge impacts, you know, for the climate, for biodiversity. But, you know, knowing now that Brazil has a leader that, you know, is actually taking this seriously um, makes me feel a lot better. Yeah. And I, I think the, the best thing is too about the political situation you have there now is Lulu has a proven track record because, you know, he put his foot down on halting deforestation in the past. So it's Amazing. It's awesome. I'm really quite excited for all of humanity when it comes to what, what can happen here <laughs> because it does affect all of us. Yeah, which I, I think really all leads into the, the demand side of things, right? I mean, 
addressing, you know, these commodities that are that are leading to the deforestation. You know, she talked about beef being like almost 80%, you know, of the deforestation in the Amazon. Um, you know, and it's still a huge chunk elsewhere in the world, right? And so I think there's opportunity to, you know, to look at how do we how do we curb, you know, our consumption, um, whether through, you know, alternatives to beef. I mean, whether you've tried or a fan of something like a, you know, a plant-based replacement to beef, like the Impossible Burger, the truth is it it has sort of these multiple benefits, right, of helping stop deforestation because it requires about 95% less land. It also then, you know, beef is is hugely emitting from a carbon perspective. So, you know, you end up with a 90% cut in greenhouse gas emissions. And then on top of that, it requires about 90% less water. So, yeah, I'm, you know, obviously what you eat is, is a big decision and habits, you know, can be hard to change. But I think having these alternatives come out is, is a positive thing. So the other thing that um, came out of the interview that I did a little bit more digging on was with these atmospheric rivers. And I, I really found that quite interesting because I take the case here uh, in Australia and a couple of the states here back in the 1980s, uh, up until the 1990s actually, used to have what they call million acre year policies where the government would create programs to get farmers to clear new farmland. And that means destruction of forests, maybe forests not quite to the magnitude of the Amazon, but in Western Australia, it resulted in around a 20% reduction in rainfall. And I never fully understood the mechanisms around how this was happening. But on the Amazon, it, it turns out that as this evapotranspiration occurs and the water vapor leaves the leaves of these trees, it goes up into the atmosphere. And normally, weather systems move from high pressure to low pressure. And what happens is as that water condenses as it rises and gets cold and forms clouds that reduces the pressure because now that that water vapor takes up so much less volume when it's in the form of a, a water droplet in a cloud right. and that low pressure system above the amazon ends up drawing all this air in from the ocean and that air of course above the ocean is also moist and then you're know, moving in above the amazon it cools ends up fall, falling as precipitation once the clouds become saturated. And that's why like you look at that volume of water coming out of the Amazon, it's got to be replaced, right? It's coming in because of this low pressure system that's occurring over the Amazon that's drawing that moisture in off the ocean. Yeah, it's almost like, you know, the way you explained it, it's like the Amazon is acting like this this pump, you know, it's pulling in essence it's pulling all this ocean air in that has this moisture and then, you know, of course then that falls as as rain. Yeah. And the, the other thing that these forests tend to do is, is form a moisture inertia, I guess you'd call it, where let's say you, you look at a, a grassland and you have a dry period in the summer or something like that. Because a grass has very shallow root systems comparatively, that topsoil layer dries out very quickly and the grass browns off and all of a sudden the transpiration loop breaks down very quickly. Whereas with a, a forest with much deeper tap roots, they, they, they continue to draw uh, off groundwater sources even during dry periods. And so that allows that transpiration and this process to continue. You know, I appreciate you continuing your research, Thomas. All right, Jason. And the transpiration that you're talking about is that same transpiration that not only, obviously in a huge area like the Amazon can help change the weather, but it's what enables trees to, you know, 
cut down on heat in, in urban areas, right? Yeah. Because they're transpiring and that's helping drop temperatures. So I guess that's a, a good lead into the question we always ask, which is, you know, what can we do? And, and I think there's, you know, multiple ways to plug in. Uh, we'll give you a couple here. The first is in line with what Meg was saying, email your representative and tell them, you know, to do all they can to help protect the Amazon. You can just keep it as simple as that. So I think the, the second opportunity is really about our power as consumers to influence, you know, things like deforestation. And while, you know, curbing beef consumption is, is certainly at the top of the list, you know, there's also opportunity in in things like our our chocolate and our coffee. Both those commodities, you know, are leading to deforestation in different places around the world. The good news is there's, you know, what's called shade-grown coffee, shade-grown chocolate, where they are putting these trees within the forest in the existing canopy and they're able to harvest without, you know, tearing down the rainforest, similar to what Meg was talking about with the Brazil nuts. And so next time you're out there, whether you're a, a coffee lover or a, or a chocolate lover, look for something that is, you know, has a shade grown label on it to ensure that it's not contributing to the problem. While each of us as consumers, our impact is small. When you spread that across a lot of people, that's a, that's a big deal. Thomas, any other thoughts on uh, what we can do? Yeah, I mean, this might not be directly related to the Amazon, but I think it comes out of the learnings of the Amazon. And, and that is that like our forests, no matter where they are in the world, are really important. And so anything that you can do to save your local mature forests um, is worth doing. And I think the mature forests, of course, always the first thing to focus on because they have the greatest levels of biodiversity um, and the greatest carbon stores. If you don't have access to that, Get out there, plant some trees. So plenty of items available for folks to do this week. Again, encourage everybody to to send that email. I know it might feel like a big lift, but it really does make an impact. And then yeah, there's these all all these great things that we can do as as individuals, you know, in terms of consumption habits and otherwise. So that's all we have for this week's episode. Thanks to everybody for tuning in. Come back and join us again on May 9th when we'll be releasing our next episode. Climate Optimist is made possible by Climate Stewards Collective. You can find us on the web at climateoptimist.co and don't forget to follow us on social at Climate Optimist Podcast. 